Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. Today on Accent of Women, we turn our focus to the Philippines. The current president, Rodrigo Duterte, is facing charges by the International Criminal Court for crimes against humanity. These charges arise from Duterte's war on drugs that has seen over 20,000 people extrajudicially murdered in the streets. There's an ever-growing COVID crisis spiralling the existing economic crisis out of control. And the country goes to a presidential election in May 2022. President Duterte is constitutionally prevented from running for an additional term, but that may not stop him. My guest on today's program is May Kotsakis. She's the chairperson of Philippines-Australia Solidarity Association. I start off by asking May why, after so much jostling and lobbying in the media, has Duterte withdrawn his intention to run for vice president? Well, I think uh, we should realize that uh, not all of Duterte's pronouncements can be trusted. Even before the election in 2016, during his campaign, he has plenty of promises. But after the election, many of those promises were broken. Apparently, his withdrawal from running in 2022 is, uh, is an agreement. You know, They have an agreement with his daughter that only one of them, either him or Sarah Duterte, will run for the top job, either vice president or president. But uh, Duterte made sure that he still has a certain control and influence on the president. And he wanted to make sure of that because to avoid you know, the prosecution by the ICC regarding his crimes against humanity. So with his daughter as president, he will have enormous you know, influence on the policies and decisions. Well, yeah, so she's a leading candidate for the presidential election but uh, and all of the worrying things that you've described are obviously the case but there's another leading candidate and that is Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos Jr who is the son of the former dictator Ferdinand and Imelda is this a significant development in the presidential race we always knew we always knew that uh, the Marcos family will always uh, seek the top job, you know, the top position in the country. I think uh, you would know that his mother, Imelda Marcos, was Congresswoman for four terms. And his sister, Aimee Marcos, also became the uh, governor of Ilocos Norte for nine years. And now she's a senator. Bongbong Marcos, in the meantime, succeeded his sister as governor of Ilocos Norte, then became a congressman, and now he is also a senator. Um, yes, so um, in 2016 election, he ran for vice president, but he lost to Lenny Robredo. So Bongbong Marcos is capitalizing, you know, on the uh, restoration of his father's honor made possible by Rodrigo Duterte. 
So he even wanted the history to change the history of the Philippines. <laughs> he, he wanted to remove in the history the atrocities that was done by his parents while they were in power, like such as the stolen wealth, you know, in billions of dollars, and also the extrajudicial killings under Marcos. So with him in power, being the president, he could, uh, this could be possible. He can even change reference books at schools. So, uh, you know, in the Philippines, political dynasty is one of the reasons that the corruption, the bad governance in the country proliferates. Because families in the politics protect each other. Crimes done by the members of family in the past or even at present, you know, they try to bury it with the support of other family members, aside from their cronies in politics. Well, altogether, there are 97 candidates that have put their hand up for the presidency, and obviously we expect a number of them will pull out. The majority of the leading candidates, though, are from the far right and fascistic tendencies of the Philippine ruling elite. And you you talked about that a little bit when you said that um, it's this method that perpetuates the corruption in Philippines politics. But what can you tell us about what this means for the future of the labour movement in the Philippines? Many of them will drop out, you know. Um, some of them are not even popular or not even known to the public. I think less than 10, probably five candidates will run for president. You know, in, in the Philippines, a candidate can be replaced by another person. For example, um, De La Rosa, which is a mate of the Duterte, uh, filed for presidential candidacy, while Sara Duterte has not filed any presidential candidacy. So De La Rosa can actually withdraw and be replaced by Sara Duterte. Um, Filipinos are very hopeful. I guess with the dire situation in the Philippine economy and the Philippine society as a whole, many Filipinos are left with nothing but hope. There are candidates who are not from the far right and has not supported the Duterte government's fascistic, fascistic policies. And we hope that one of them will win the election. I don't know if you have an idea or, or you heard about this coalition. There is a coalition that has been formed, uh, which is called Sambayan or One Nation. One country, <laughs> one country, Sambayan. This is a very broad coalition of democratic forces. This includes different political parties, different political persuasion, which is not in the Duterte Marcos camp. And the aim of this coalition is to end the reign of Duterte or Marcos in Malacanang. This coalition believes that by joining together and fielding only one candidate for president, that they have a better chance and they can garner enough votes to defeat Duterte or Marcos as president. So uh, this uh, coalition has been formed, I think, as early as May this year. And they have been, you know, campaigning and they are at the moment, they are, uh, they have already selected the candidate for president, which is the current vice president, Lenny Robredo. So I think they are going to pull together uh, to support Lenny. And there is a big chance that she's going to win. But as to you said, uh, what is the effect of this to workers? We actually don't see 
a uh, many changes changes when it comes to the status of worker in the Philippines because like um, until now you know uh, the Philippines is still uh, controlled by a few ruling classes in the society and uh, many many of uh, the politicians the Congress in the Congress in the Senate they are capitalists they are um, business owners. And um, th that's why there is a very, uh, you know, there is difficulty in passing through any legislation, any bill that support the workers. Like, look at the wages until now, it's still very low. So even the demand of uh, KMU for an increase in a daily wage, which is what, uh, an early 2000, it was uh, launched in early 2000 until now, it's not approved because of this situation, the, the bureaucrat capitalist, uh, businesses that are in politics. So I don't see really change much. I hope that the contractualization that was promised by Duterte during his campaign, that he is going to end contractualization, I hope that with the new president, it is going to be, you know, met, you know, that promise. Well, you, this new coalition, you're right, I, I hadn't heard of it. Well, what's the relationship between the new coalition and Bayan Muna, which is traditionally the leftist party list that runs in elections in the Philippines? Actually, Makabayan, um, or that is the, uh, you know, that is the alliance of uh, left force of all those uh, progressive forces. Then uh, some of the members of Makabayan are actually members of the, this coalition. And uh, Tony Tinio, which is one of the congressmen who, who, who is a member of Makabayan, is actually part of the uh, convener. He's one of the conveners of this coalition. And even Joanna Concepcion, the chairperson of Migrante International is one also of the convener of this coalition. So they have pulled together and they have a very uh, good sort of platform on who to choose, which is supposed to be a pro people, you know, <laughs> president and candidates. They are going to select um, president, vice president and the candidates for senatorial position. So yes, yes, the, uh, you know, um, but I am not quite sure who will be in this senatorial position at the moment because there are the, the, 12, uh, the 12 spaces there or the 12, uh, you know, candidate for senator is not yet filled up. So at the moment they are still doing the selection, but yes, the, some, uh, some organizations of the member of Makabayan are part of this uh, coalition. Well, good luck to the comrades that are trying to progress um, the parliamentary system or the, the um, official political system of the Philippines. I wanted to move to um, Dutetra's um, criminal charges because uh, you mentioned that earlier as one of the reasons why he can't officially stand as vice president, though um, his daughter, Sarah, will be effectively his puppet. Um, but he is, President Duterte is facing charges in the International Criminal Court. What can you tell us about that? Yes, that's right. The ICC or the International Criminal Court has formally approved the investigation of Rodrigo Duterte 
on his crimes against humanity. And this is the result of a long, hard-fought campaign against the killings in the Philippines since Duterte became president, especially the war on drugs that killed, you know, uh, victimized uh, more than 20,000 people. Human rights advocates and activists had campaigned to various international mechanisms, including the United Nations Human Rights Commission, the Permanent People's Tribunal, the International Labour Organization, and the ICC. And this campaign caught the attention of the ICC prosecutor, uh, Fatou Ben Souda, that her office announced in early 2018 that they are closely examining allegations of crimes against humanity by the Duterte government. So that was in uh, 2018, February, I think, yes, February 2018. As soon as Duterte heard about the intention of the ICC, he withdrew from the ICC, he withdrew the Philippines from the ICC. So however, under the court rules, the withdrawal could not take effect for at least 12 months. So Philippines was officially withdrawn from the ICC in March 2019. So the ICC that's, does not have any jurisdiction over the countries who are not members. And the Philippine government will not be obliged to participate. So unless the government or the new president or the Philippine, new Philippine government will hand in or hand over Duterte, even though there is already a warrant of his arrest, the ICC cannot arrest Duterte. But if Duterte travels abroad to any country which is a member of the ICC, then he can be arrested. And that country is obliged to cooperate with the ICC. For example, uh, Australia is a member of ICC. So if Duterte comes to Australia, then Duterte can be arrested and Australia has to cooperate and turn over Duterte. But if the Philippine government also, you know, because the, the, the new, say the new, the new government can always, uh, you know, hand over, can all, not oblige, but can cooperate with the ICC. So if the new government will agree to turn over Duterte or to become member again of the ICC, you know, then, you know, um, then, then the ICC can arrest Duterte. And also, apparently, the crimes that was committed was before. Many crimes committed before the Philippines withdraw from the ICC. So, you know, there is that, what we call that Xbox factor law, that law, that even though Duterte already withdraw from the ICC, he is still not free, you know, not free. So um, the ICC can still push, pursue, pursue him. Well, there are a lot of um, contingencies on whether the ICC can actually do anything effective in relation to Dutetra. So we'll see if he missteps in the next uh, period. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. On today's show, we look at the situation in the Philippines in the lead-up to a presidential election in May 2022. 
My guest on today's program is May Katsakis, the co-chairperson of Philippines Australia Solidarity Association. I wanted to turn now to the COVID situation in the Philippines. What can you tell us about that? Oh, the response of the government has not changed. Um, Even with the increase in the rate of transmission, especially of this Delta variant. In August this year, five hospitals in the National Capital Region, which is the epicenter of the outbreak, were nearing full capacity. And this situation really is very worrying because uh, the positivity, apparently the positivity is nearly one in every four tested. However, testing is very slow and it is, there is no mass testing. Only about 60,000 are tested every day with 110 million people in the Philippines. You know? And um, testing, testing is not free. That is the reason why there is no mass testing. So people, you know, the, the rate of the testing is very slow. The vaccination also is very slow. So as of 14th of October, 23 million were fully vaccinated, which is about 22% of Filipino population. So, but this is really funny, you know, I mean, worrying. According to the report, there were several offers for vaccines in the Philippines. And, and the, the cheapest vaccination on offer was AstraZeneca, which is $610 each. I pesos, sorry, pesos. And the next was uh, Pfizer, which is 2,379 pesos per vaccine. And the most expensive was Sinovac, which was 3,629 pesos and 50 centavos. Yet Duterte picked Sinovac. Isn't that weird, you know? Not only that it was the most expensive, it was also proven to have the lowest efficacy. So the, the government uses the budget budget for help for this uh, to, to, to respond to this um, COVID-19. They use it to, to be corrupt, you know, for corruption. They, um, it is really very worrying, you know. And until now, testing is, is still being charged between 1,500 pesos to 4,000 pesos. So Filipinos, many Filipinos, Filipino families would use the money to buy food, especially now that they are suffering. If there are several members in the family, for each family member to be vaccinated might cost them about 10,000. So they would rather use the money to buy food. And until now, they are still charging for the testing, which is really outrageous. And with the significant reduction in international travel, and we know that the Philippines' biggest export is people, workers, what is the situation for Filipino expats abroad? Have they all been brought home or are they stuck because of the COVID pandemic? Oh, uh, there are lots of very sad conditions of the overseas Filipino workers. Um, some of them were stuck where, you know, at the host countries, like even here, there were some international students stuck here. Uh, not so much of migrant workers because almost all migrant workers here, you know, um, very few, only very few lost their job and they found job soon. But the inter- state international students, uh, they were stuck here. Um, 
they cannot go back to the Philippines because of uh, maybe they were enrolled or uh, the 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 um, airfares were very expensive. Also, you know, um, overseas Filipino workers in host countries, there were lots of them who lost their jobs. And one of the reasons that they cannot go back to the Philippines is sometimes the um, their employer has sort of accused them of something and, and uh, some of their papers were stolen or hid by the employers, including passport. Some of them cannot go back to the Philippines because they cannot afford the, uh, the airfare aside from the travel or the uh, flight has been reduced tremendously. The airfare has actually doubled, sometimes tripled in price, so they cannot afford. And there is no support, very minimal support from the government, in spite of many exactions of fees being charged to the OFWs, such as OWA fees, POEA fees, health insurance, certificate of employment fees, and many others. And the, the reason that they are charging some of these fees, like the overseas well, uh, Overseas Worker Welfare Administration, or OWA, is to support the overseas Filipino workers when they need support. But very minimal, very seldom get support. And in many cases, almost in all cases, community organizations or civil society organizations has to intervene, has to actually help them to call the attention of the embassy, just, just like here. Those, those Filipinos who wanted to go back home because they cannot enroll, they cannot work, they don't have any more money, they just want to go back home. The embassy said they have no budget to pay their airfare. So they were looking for donors from the community who will donate for their airfare because they cannot provide them with any budget. You know, So it, it is really very sad. There was one, uh, I was attending a, a, um, an online event that was uh, organized by Migrant International. And there was a very sad story of an OFW who are stranded in, in um, UAE, United Arab Emirates. One of the worker there uh, shared, he, he loves his job um, and he shared that for them to be able to eat, they go to the, you know, to the um, venues for wedding or parties and, and wait there until the leftover food are thrown into the bin. And after that, they go to the bin and collect the food and that will be their, you know, their meal. If they do not do that, they have nothing to eat. And um, there were some also, they were stuck in in one room and there were more than 20 of them and when they when they sleep it's like sardines you know because there is not enough room for them and the philippine embassy cannot offer them any accommodation so it is it is really very very sad you know there are lots of them you know stranded some of them has come has gone home actually there were more than 630,000 overseas filipinos who have returned home they have lost their jobs and they are really going to be you know the philippines is going to be really in a very 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 bad bad shape you know even after the pandemic well that that um sounds quite devastating 
Actually, May, I didn't want to end on that note, but it was my last question. So I was going to say, look, thank you so much for your time and for sharing uh, the situation in the Philippines. Is there anything that you wanted to add? No, I just you, because I have I, I I wasn't able to add, you know, the about the uh, workers at the moment. Actually, there are uh, more than three million Filipinos who are unemployed, which is about eight percent of workforce. Aside from this, there are 6.4 million who are underemployed. These will be the casuals, you know, who are on and off jobs. And, uh, and also, this, this does not include, this, uh, you know, is data does not include those people who are on informal sectors. They are, we call them informal sectors because they are the majority of the workforce in the Philippines. They are those who are peddlers on the street, the tricycle drivers, those who do odd jobs such as minor repairs of the houses, hairdressers, manicurists. So they are not actually included in the data because they are no longer seeking or looking for jobs, but there are plenty of them in the Philippines. In the last data before the pandemic, these informal sectors was more than 50% of the total workforce in the Philippines. And during the lockdown, you know, because I, I think Manila is one of the cities also that have the longest lockdown, have long lockdown. During the lockdown, they cannot do their work. They, they don't have any job. They, there are no peddlers on the street. There are, you know, they cannot sell their goods, you know. So, and, 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 and they, they have no, you know, they have no means. And some of the jeepney drivers apparently become, became beggars, begging for food and begging for some donations on the street. So it is really, you know, it is really very simple. That was May Kotsakis, the co-chairperson of Philippines Australia Solidarity Association. We were discussing the situation in the Philippines, particularly the International Criminal Court charges against President Rodrigo Duterte and the upcoming presidential election of May 2022. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. The music for Accent of Women was written and produced by George Kungeri. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.